0: Welcome back to AWOD Weekend Radio. It's your boy Adam Epstein here on a Saturday morning. And you know I like to give you guys a little window into my life here. And uh, one of the biggest uh, hobbies that I picked up in the past year and a half, I guess it started in quarantine, was downloading Audible and listening to a ton of books. I've done John Feinstein. I've done some good science fiction. And uh, one of the latest books that I read and, uh, or, or sh- I should say, listened to and really enjoyed was The Hot Hand, The Mystery and Science of Streaks. And joining me right now on the hotline is the author of that book, sports reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Ben Cohen. What's going on, Ben?
1: Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. Sorry I couldn't get the uh, the audiobook narrator to, uh, to to dictate what I'm saying instead of me.
0: <laughs> hey, man, that's a big part of the Audible book is that uh, it, is, it is very well read. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just want to start by saying, man, I, I, I enjoyed the book. Uh, just from, like, the first chapter, I was hooked, man. Uh, I was all in on this thing. There's so many great stories. Uh, and so let's start with that. I mean, the book is just... It's so vast, uh, the way it goes from, you know, Ma- a game in Madison Square Garden to talk about the plays of Shakespeare, prisons of Russia, college campuses, and, and you know, the way you started the book uh, was really well done. Uh, when, you, when you knew that you were going to do this book, did, did things fall into your lap? Did you have to do a, a ton and ton of research? How did that kind of play out?
1: Um, it's a great question. It, it was a little bit of both. It was, um, I, you know, I knew there were a few stories that I wanted to tell. I mean, really, the the biggest overarching story that I wanted to tell in the book was, um, you know, the 35-year saga of really smart people all over the world trying to investigate whether or not the hot hand exists, like this phenomenon that is rooted in basketball that applies to, like, every walk of life and why these really smart people were studying this psychological idea. So that was, like, the one overarching narrative. And then I went searching for you know, about a dozen stories that um, that illustrate little lessons um, that can be gleaned from that, you know, one big saga along the way. So, you know, you mentioned Steph Curry in that one game in the garden. I knew I wanted to tell that story. And then, you know, I went looking for a whole bunch of different stories in sports and also out of sports. And, you know, it turns out when you can write about like basically anything, the bar is pretty high because it has to be pretty interesting. So, um, So I spent a lot of time, um, you know, banging my head against the wall and, you know, reading stories in the far corners of the Internet to look for potential sources and story ideas. And um, and once I got them, I sort of um, just started reporting them out and seeing what was interesting and hoping that, you know, readers and listeners would find it interesting, too.
0: Yeah. And growing up a sports fan and a guy that played sports, you know, at the amateur level and uh, you know, a little bit in high school, freshman year basketball team. I, I was pretty good, but uh, I came off the bench for most of the season. But I, I always thought, like I knew about the hot hand my whole life, just because I always felt like I had it. You know, after I, I made a couple shots, uh, you know, I would do the heat check. You know, take a deep shot here. And how do you kind of explain it to the audience that might not have been familiar with the hot hand? How do you how do you kind of put it in layman's terms for them?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I think one of like the really seductive things about this idea is that we have all felt it and seen it for ourselves. Right. And so, um, you know, really um, the hot hand, I I think probably your listeners know, but it's that feeling when you make one shot and then another shot and another shot and you feel like the next shot has to go in because you are in the zone, you are on fire. Right. And if you've played basketball, you felt it. If you've watched basketball, you have seen it. Um, I, I think it really applies to like basically any sport. I think it also applies to like almost any job like you know there, there are days in the office when you feel hot and you can sort of leverage that to your advantage now the really interesting thing about the hot hand um is that uh for you know three four decades now some really smart people nobel prize winners and you know genius economists and psychologists and statisticians have done the research and they basically have said there is no evidence that the hot hand actually exists. It is just a figment of your imagination. It's our minds playing tricks on us. And that is really, you know, the tension in this book. Like something that we all feel to be true, only to be told by brilliant people that it's not. And trying to figure out like, what are the nuances of that? When might it be true? When might those eggheads be right? And when might it not be true? And like, what can we learn from all that. But I think your experience playing, you know, freshman basketball and my experience playing, you know, uh, really lousy, you know, JV basketball as a sophomore, the one time in my life I had the hot hand on a basketball court, they're really like fundamental to our understanding of this idea, because it is intuitive and universal and something that we all know and have experienced. And so there aren't many um, ideas that like everybody on earth can relate to. Mm -hmm. And that is like part of what drew me to this story, and also, like, why I think it's interesting, right? Because, like, we do all have brushes with the hot hand, and, like, they do stick with us, and they can shape the way we see ourselves and other people see us, and for really smart people to come along and tell us that that doesn't really exist, and we're kind of fools for believing it, that is, like, the the heart of a really good story to me.
0: Mm -hmm. And, Ben, I want to get your thoughts on, you know, my opinion about it, which is, I I feel like When you have the hot hand, the toughest thing is because basketball is such like a repetitive nature sport. Like you have to do the exact same thing with every single shot. You know, have to have the same follow through. But I see a lot of times in NBA. I I probably see it more in college basketball where when guys feel like they have the hot hand, it gets to their head. They get overconfident. They you even mentioned in the book, they start taking shots that they would never usually take because they feel like they're on fire. And uh, you know, one of the most you know. It's just it's just one of those things where I, I question it because I'm like, I feel like some of the best players in the NBA, they can understand they have the hot hand, and the reason they're so good is because it, it doesn't affect them. You know, like Kevin Durant, he's he's not going to change the, his form of his shot, whether he's hit eight in a row or not. Uh, he's just he's just that confident in, in his game.
1: For sure. I mean, but what the hot hand does, is on the basketball court anyway, is that it warps the behavior of everybody, right? So it warps the behavior of the person who feels hot, it also warps the behavior of his teammates who are yeah. trying to get him the ball and the defense who are double teaming him and triple teaming him and running box and ones against him and doing everything they can to stop him. The coaches, right? You know, his coach is calling plays for him. The other coach is calling timeouts to make sure he doesn't get it. The, the crowd, because the fans know that he's about to put up a shot and you can like hear like the palpable tension. Like you can, you can feel the energy of an arena, especially an NBA arena in like a tight game change when someone gets hot. But the most important thing it does is that, like, as you mentioned, when you get hot, you take harder shots, riskier shots, crazier shots, shots that are less likely to go in. So it's, the difference, um, you know, for an NBA player when they get hot, um, you know, they're taking 30-foot threes. It's, it's different from, like, a free-throw shooter who is just making 100 shots in a row or if you're on, like, a pop-a-shot machine, right, mm-hmm, where you just yeah. feel like you can't miss and it's really that repetitive motion. The thing that makes it so hard to study and so interesting to study um, about basketball is that like it is this um, exercise in uncertainty when he will get on the floor because if Steph Curry makes three shots in a row at 23 feet he might pull up from 35 feet but he's less likely to make that shot so when he does make it like what does it say doesn't mean he's super hot does it mean that like <laughs> anything he puts up on the court is going to go in like all of this changes especially when someone like curry or kevin durant or any of like you know the the best shooters in the history of the game can use um the fact that everybody thinks they're hot against them right so like you know we have that term in basketball gravity well you know no one has ever exploited gravity better than steph curry and when he's hot and other teams are throwing two guys at him and and biting on every pump fake and he can just dish to Draymond green like cutting the basket for a dunk like that's pretty valuable to his team too. So, like, the hot hand is this force I think that that changes almost everything around it, and how we use it to our advantage or how we get tricked by it is one of the most interesting things I think about thinking about
0: it. Yeah, no, you make a great point there with the pump fake. I mean, when you've hit a couple shots, that pump fake just becomes such a huge weapon. I'm talking with sports reporter for the Wall Street Journal, Ben Cohen, one of the most, you know. I would say unintentional, interesting points of last season's uh, playoffs in the NBA was the way road fans would go after Giannis Antetokounmpo every time he shot a free throw uh, in the game. I mean, they were counting to 10 seconds. uh, They were getting in his head. He's not a great foul shooter at all, uh, but in Game 6 of the Finals, he dropped 50 points, including 17 of 19 from the charity stripe, which leads me to this question. Did Antetokounmpo, you know, a pretty bad foul shooter, up around 50%. Did he have the hot hand in that game?
1: <laughs> yeah, you would never say that about Giannis DeLine, but it seems like he kind of did. But, you know, one of the things um, I find really fascinating about the hot hand is that it is this powerful force and it can change, you know, people's entire lives. I mean, one of the chapters in this book is about, like, the hot hand periods of creative types' careers. So, yeah. artists, scientists, movie directors, people like that. And, like, what are the conditions of getting hot? But more important, like, how can you leverage the hot hand to your advantage? The first chapter of the book is about the hottest game of Steph Curry's life. And it was in Madison Square Garden until very recently. It was the most points he'd ever scored in one game. He scored 54 points on 11 of 13 three-point shooting. Nobody in the history of basketball, the history of the NBA anyway, had ever taken that many threes and made that many threes in a single game. It wasn't that long ago. It was 2013. But, it was kind of the game that changed everything. It was the game that changed his life, and it changed the future of the Golden State Warriors and the fate of basketball around the world. And I think what the hot hand shows is that one magical, extraordinary game can change everything. It can change the way you see yourself. It can change the way teams build around you. It can even change the way that, you know, teenagers and eight-year-olds and five-year-olds want to shoot three-pointers from everywhere on the court. And Mm -hmm. we saw that with Steph. We've seen that um, for all the greats that have come before and after him. And I think when you're talking about game six of the finals, we may have seen that for Giannis, right? Because, you know, the one flaw of his game going into that night anyway, was that it was generally a pretty good strategy to foul him, especially in a playoff game, especially, you know, in, in, in crunch time, that game might have like flipped something in his brain where he (laughs) no longer cares if he's getting fouled. And, you know, he's a 72% free throw shooter during the regular season, which is like totally fine and makes Giannis going to the line like the best offense in, in the NBA, right? Like 1.4 points per possession. But, you know, he drops in the playoffs. If he's going to shoot 75% in the playoffs, 80%, 85 like anything like that, you know, good luck stopping him. It's like almost impossible at that point. And if that one night at the free throw line did that for him, then, you know, it was one of the more consequential nights in the last decade of the league.
0: Yeah, and when we're talking about the hot hand in the NFL, I kind of think of it as something that happens to running backs, especially because we see running backs, you know, they're in and out of the league in just a few seasons. Uh, You know, I think of like Derrick Henry getting the hot hand uh, towards the end of two seasons ago, and it seems like every single game he was rushing for 175 yards. Uh, But this weekend we have a really big anticipated matchup of Tom Brady going against the Pats, returning uh, to Foxborough to uh, face off against his, his you know his mentor his coach for a long time Bill Belichick. Do you think the career of Tom Brady the up and down the trips to the Super Bowl so many times over the past uh, two decades is that a streak for him or did he just play on multiple teams that got hot at the end of the season? How would you describe that?
1: I think he's probably just the greatest football player ever, right? <laughs> And so he kind of like supersedes and transcends. It's funny that you mentioned running backs because. You know, I would have thought you said quarterbacks, right? I think most people consider, like, getting hot, throwing the ball, and, like, you know, Brady's probably had a few hot streaks in his career where, you know, everything is, like, he's throwing every pass right into the pocket and, like, right into the receiver's pocket, and, like, you know, and he could sort of throw up any ball, and it's going to be in the exact right place. A running back is interesting because – you're kind of dependent on a lot of people to do work for you, right? Mm-hmm. It's in, in basketball, if you get hot, if you're Steph Curry, you can cross half court and shoot. And as long as the ball is in your hands, you have control. Like the defense might shift the way they play you, um, and it might be really hard to shoot, but you can still shoot. If you're a running back, like Derrick Henry is only as good as his offensive line that season, right? Like you need guys to create holes for you. You can dance a little bit and, and you can you know you can hit the line and, and and try to get three, four yards and try to break it. But like if you if you're on a lousy team, you know, even you might you might be able to see the holes before they exist, but if they don't exist, you can't go anywhere. So, you know, I, I almost think that um the hot hand applies to a quarterback more than a running back, even if like we think about it more in terms of a running back, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to D C Sports Radio one oh six seven the fan. This is AWOD Weekend Radio. My guest right now on the hotline is the author of The Hot Hand, The Mystery and Science of Streaks, Ben Cohen. You can follow him on Twitter at BZ Cohen. Um, so I was trying to explain this book to my mom here and, and and tell me if I'm wrong here. It was, it was a struggle. All right. A lot of this explanation was a struggle, but one of the chapters I was trying to highlight to her was the quarter probabilities. And if correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe in my interpretation of what I read was that if you're flipping a quarter and it lands on heads, the next time you flip it, You'd think fifty percent chance it lands on heads again, but it's actually forty three percent less likely. Is that is that correct? Did I understand that?
1: Um, it's it's mostly correct. I mean, you have it. It's um, it's sort of an academic exercise where you have to take a string of quarter flips or coin flips, right? So you you flip um, you flip a coin three or four times, and and then you go back and try to figure it out. So it's not just like I just landed on heads. What's the what's the probability that the next one is heads. But um, it's it's slightly more complicated and it makes my brain hurt, especially at mm-hmm. ten A. M. on a Saturday morning. And so what I will say is that the, the I, I spent a lot of time crafting those few paragraphs in the book that um, that explain exactly the math and science behind it. And I think probably the best way to understand it, um, other than me showing my book is to just um, to read it like in print for someone who has like, you know, carefully crafted every word of it. But I think what what we're speaking to here is that our understanding of the hot hand has changed in recent years with with new data and new ways of thinking about data. And there was this really fascinating, remarkable study that came out a couple of years ago that used this coin flip math and the probability of statistics and statistical biases to show that we've actually been thinking about the hot hand wrong for 35, 40 years. All those really brilliant minds who told us there was no such thing, that we were crazy for believing our eyes and thinking the hot hand was real, well, it turns out they might have been wrong and that everything that has ever been published about this phenomenon was slightly off and that our intuition was not leading us astray here. So the hot hand may not be like the fireball of our imagination from NBA Jam. You, you can miss when you are hot <laughs> and you feel hot, but we're also not wrong to think that um, this thing that we've all seen and felt for ourselves might actually be real, and that itself is like a pretty major finding in the world of, you know, academic um, psychology and economics, and also like for anyone who watches basketball every night.
0: Yeah, I, I will. I will say personally, I feel like I got the hot hand. Uh, with job searching. I had the hot resume right out of college. I applied for a thousand different places, heard nothing. No second interview, nothing. Then all of a sudden, Sirius XM hit me up. CBS Radio hit me up. I had a job offer in Wyoming in like a matter of two days. The hot hot resume was uh, Adam Epstein back then. Uh, Ben Cohen, I appreciate you so much for the time, man. Uh, People can follow you on Twitter again at BZ Cohen. What do you got coming up? You got any new books you're working on? Any articles uh, you want to promote for the Wall Street Journal?
1: Um, nothing right now. I'm very open to book ideas, so if any of your listeners have brilliant ideas, please get in touch. (laughs) And thanks very much for having me. Thanks for reading the book. Thanks for listening, and thanks for letting me chat about it.
0: Absolutely, man. Take care, and enjoy the rest of your weekend.
1: Thanks, Adam. Talk to you soon. Yep.
0: A-Wide Weekend Radio here on 106.7 The Fan up until 12 noon. Let's get back to the phone lines. Let's go around the NFL. We got some best bets of the week coming up soon here on 106.7 The Fan. Welcome back. AWOD Weekend Radio here on 106.7. The fan also simulcast on the Team 980. So you can switch to AM or FM to hear the show, AWOD Weekend Radio. Time to go around the NFL, give you guys my top three through three. Who do I think are the best three teams in the National Football League after just the first three weeks of the regular season? Number one on my list is got to be the Rams. I mean, Matthew Stafford looks reimagined under Sean McVay. I mean, Donald, have you seen this? He's been unbelievable. It seems like every, every play he's gone deep, Deshaun Jackson re-energized with a good QB, and that defense is still lethal. Yeah, yeah, speak yeah, it's old D-Jacks as of late. I when, when I saw that play it just gave me those flashbacks to those Philly days. It was crazy. Yeah, even flashbacks to a little bit here in Washington, but man, uh the Rams are going to be tough to beat this year. They face the Cardinals this weekend. Uh the other uh the other uh team here number 2 on my list here top 3 through 3, the Raiders. Man, that's a surprise team to most, though. You could say they could have lost their first two games. They've been a lot really close matchups. But good teams prevail. I do think Derek Carr is elite. uh, They've got a great pass rush on defense, too. That's something that a lot of people sleep on. Carl Nassib, uh, Max Crosby. uh, Those guys get after the quarterback really well, and I think that's something that people have been sleeping on uh, for why the Raiders are good this year, is when, when the offense struggles, the defense gives them the ball back right away. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, like, we're getting a bunch of callers, you know, saying that our, you know, defense here in Washington is really, you know, dropping the ball. So, to your point... They they're working on both sides of the ball over there in Oakland, or says they say Vegas now. Oh man, did I say Oakland Raiders? No, I think I'm I'm the first one with the forty <laughs> <laughs> instead. It's so hard to uh, to not mess that up. Uh, but I do want to get to Vegas to see a game. And then the third team I'm going to put on my list here. I'm going to be easy. Top three through three, you got to include Tom Brady, Tompa Tom, and the Bucks. Why? Because the Bucks are still the Bucks of last season. I don't expect them to lose often, and when they do. I expect them to bounce back with vengeance, I go on a win streak. Brady looks great. Can they stay healthy would be the question for me. We, Gronk is questionable this week. I don't think he'll end up playing. Uh, I think health could be a big uh, detriment to the Bucks this season, but they're still very good. Yeah, I mean, when TB12 is your quarterback, you always have a chance for sure. Yeah, absolutely, and that defense is really good, and it's young. So some of the best matchups of the weekend, Panthers at Cowboys, no McCaffrey, but Sam Darnold has been on fire this season. Can they upset Big D in Dallas? 4 p.m., Rams-Cardinals. That's a huge game for division dominance. Uh, I think the Rams will win that one, but it's hard to bet against Kyler Murray the way he's playing right now. He's been an MVP talk, the way he's scrambling, throwing back shoulder, throwing off one foot. He's been unbelievable. And then people are sleeping on that Monday night football game, Raiders against the Chargers, another big division in battle, both quarterbacks having a strong season. So we talked NFL, we talked Washington football team. Again, I said, if Washington loses, I'm ready for the NBA. And that's why joining me next on the hotline is my guy Chase Hughes, who covers the Washington Wizards for NBC Sports Washington. Adam Epstein here on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Welcome back to 106.7 The Fan. I'm Adam Epstein. Messed around and got a triple-double. Hmm. <laughs> Adam Epstein here on 106.7 The Fan, and we're talking Washington Wizards. A little Wizards season preview with my guy, my favorite Wiz uh, reporter, my guy Chase Hughes. What's going on, Chase? How you doing this Saturday morning?
2: I'm doing great, man. It's good to be back on with you. I, I was wondering because it had been a little while. I was like, did did he replace me with like someone like younger and cooler or something? <laughs> but I-, I figure it's just uh, you know the the de- dog days of the off season.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's just, there was too much football to talk about here. and uh, But with the season around the corner, I thought it was a good time to get you back on the line. And, you know, I, I just looked this up because I was confused about the start of the NBA season last year. Obviously, they've played like three seasons in a a year and eight months, it seems like, because of the bubble season. And then last year didn't start till December 22nd, I believe. But it was about this time last season right? Not not this time in the calendar year, but this time in training camp and all that, that John Wall was traded. So where are we one season removed from that, in your opinion?
2: Ooh, well, uh, a lot has transpired since. Obviously, John Wall for Russell Westbrook, that on its own was a a trade to evaluate, but then the Wizards flipped Russell Westbrook for a bunch of players and then made another trade, right? They got a first-round pick from the Lakers and flipped that to the the Pacers and brought in two more players, Aaron Holliday and Isaiah Todd. So I think when you look at that trade now and, and what it currently amounts to, and it will probably continue to evolve over time, um, I think the Wizards have a very deep roster. I think they have a lot of capable veterans, established veterans, guys like Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and, and Montrezl Harrell. And I think collectively, they have just upped the experience level of the Wizards, and I think they've added uh more defenders more capable defenders and i think you're you're seeing that early on in camp there's been a lot of talk just about the collective professionalism um you know the film studying uh, habits of guys like kyle kuzma and Kentavious calwell pope and um you know the the vocal leadership of a guy like montrez harrell who yesterday yeah. called the players only meeting right after practice not usually players only meetings are considered a bad thing but in this case it was about building team chemistry so just defense and discipline and professionalism, I think that's kind of um, the intangibles that this has uh, amounted to. Um, but obviously that, that trade continues to be a fascinating one to evaluate, and I think the Wizards are, are looking pretty good right now, especially with the when you look at what's going on in Houston with John Wall.
0: Yeah, no, that Montrez Harrell players only meeting uh... – you know, perked up my ears. I was, I was, you know, I was kind of surprised it was almost like, wow, you guys are already revolting, against against Wes Unsell Jr. But no, I get it. Uh, there's just so many new faces and I felt like they just needed to come together as, you know, guys, as bros and be like, look, like a lot of us have played in four or five different cities. A lot of us might, you know, this might be our last contract in the league, or this could be a chance to get paid uh, in the next few years. We've got to come together and be a strong team this season. Let's start with Montrez Harrell. Playing with a chip on his shoulder, uh, I saw people putting out reports that he's going to carry around the NBA top 100 player list season uh, this season because he wants to prove that he deserves to be in there. I mean, what do you think he's going to bring to this team?
2: Well, it's interesting about the top 100 player list because I think that's one of the piece of evidence i could cite that maybe he's going a little underrated in in the training camp because i was looking up the top 100 player list uh going into last season just try to get a sense of uh where all the players that the wizards acquired uh were where they were kind of ranked around the league yeah and montrez harrell believe it or not was pretty easily the highest ranked player among the guys they acquired and that was after and the Clippers
0: season right
2: that was after the Clippers season in which he averaged like 19-7. and seven. Uh, He was the sixth man of the year. But what's interesting about that is that not only was he higher rated than Kuzma, who I think has a, a, a bigger star profile around the league because he, was a, you know, he won a championship with the Lakers, but he was also ranked much higher than Spencer Dinwiddie. And Spencer mm-hmm. Dinwiddie at that time was coming off his best season, and it was right before he tore his ACL. So that was like when Spencer Dinwiddie was at his peak and Montrez Harrell was at his peak. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the Washington Post top 100 list put together by Ben Golliver. It's a really uh, comprehensive list. And, and Montrezl Harrell was by far the second best player on this team by that measure, obviously behind uh, Bradley Beal. So uh, I don't think anyone should be sleeping on Montrezl Harrell. He's probably going to come off the bench.
0: Yeah. But, but Well, hey, Chase, let me ask you this about Montrez because I, I sure. agree he's, he was really good. But this is what I think the critics would say what has he developed in his game? What part of aspects of his game has, has he gotten better in? Because he's kind of undersized and uh, the game has become such a three-point shooter's game. I can see why he struggled to get on the court with the Lakers.
2: Well, first of all, seeing him in person, he's taller than I thought he was. <laughs> I, I thought this was going to be like a Draymond Green type situation where you're like, that guy protects the rim? Now nah, he's tall. He's a big man. Um, and he's relentlessly aggressive. And the chip on the shoulder... You can sense that just by talking to him. Like he's got <laughs> an edge to him. Like he talks really fast. Yeah. Uh, he's got sort of a, a gritty, sort of like gruff personality. Is he like Marquise um, Morris? Yeah, but like way more high energy. Marquise okay. Morris. That's a that's a great comparison, and that stood out where it's just like this guy it, it can't couldn't possibly hold back. Like he has to be real. He has to tell you what he what he thinks at all yeah. times. Like he has no filter. Just like. <laughs> Marquise Morris, but this guy, I think there's more energy. Marquise Morris is super laid back. This guy is anything but laid back, and I think that chip on the shoulder is something that you don't you could pay him all the money in the world and it would still be there.
0: And so you think he'll come off the bench this season and kind of command that second unit?
2: I do. Yeah, I think Daniel Gafford is setting up to be the starter. You know, Tommy Shepard sort of announced that going into training camp. He's got the highest ceiling of the big men. Uh, he's the best rim protector, and this team is going to be. Very defense-oriented moving forward. I know that's a shock to some who uh, know the Wizards from two seasons ago, three seasons ago, and the beginning of last season. But it's all about defense, and he's the best rim protector. And Montrose Harrell's really good in that role. He was the sixth man of the year uh, two years ago. But if you look at the last two years, he's got the second most 20-point scoring games off the bench of any player in the league. Um, Jordan Clarkson's the only guy with more. Davis uh, Berton's actually eighth on that list. So the Wizards now have two top eight bench scorers by that one measure. Um, but he's going to be a guy who, who gets, I think he's going to score efficiently, you know, 15, 16 points a game, probably off the bench, which is a lot. Um, I think he's going to rebound and I think he's going to do a lot of the, the sort of blue collar little things. He's one of the best players in the NBA at boxing out. Uh, he's, hmm. he goes after loose balls. Uh, he's, he's, you know, he can protect the rim a little bit. He was a defensive liability in LA last year with the number one defense in the NBA, but he, he'll give you a, a, a block shot or a one and a half a game. So he's pretty decent in that regard. I just think high effort um, and, and just a, a tough-minded uh, mindset, I think being out there on the floor is what you're going to expect from him.
0: Yeah, yeah, really good stuff. That's my guy Chase Hughes, who covers the Wizards for NBC Sports Washington. You're listening to AWOD Weekend Radio. Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, the new face of the point guard position here in Washington. How would you describe him? What kind of point guard is he? Is there any chance that we'll be calling him the point god midway into the season? Or will, he, <laughs> will he be more of a scoring guard, maybe, a, or is he a double double assist monster? Kind of what are you expecting and uh, and thoughts on Spencer Dinwiddie, the point guard?
2: Well, I think his trademark skill is his ability to get to the rim. Uh, if you look at NBA tracking data and drives per game, he's really good at getting into the restricted area, and he's pretty good at finishing around the rim, too. You know, he's, he's also a guy who stood out in terms of his height. He's 6'5", 6'6". Six, six, six. That's pretty big for a point guard, even in this era. So I think in terms of getting to the rim, it's going to be a, a similar effect to what we saw from John Wall and, and Russell Westbrook, that sort of attack mentality. You try to spread the floor, let him... Uh, break down the defense and, and hopefully uh, pass out to shooters, open shooters. Um, but I think he'll bring more on the defensive end than those guys. Um, he's, as long as he comes back uh, pretty quickly from the ACL injury, that's, of course, got to be noted. Uh, modern medicine has worked wonders, but it's still a major injury. But he was a really good defensive player uh, in Brooklyn uh, before the injury. You know, he was the starting point guard for a team that was ninth in defensive rating. Um, he's big. He's physical. Um, he, he's a willing defender. So I think you think of defense and getting to the rim. Um, his shooting, you know, I think Wizards fans are going to realize that he's not a very uh, efficient shooter, but, you know, he had a long time to work on that during his rehab. So maybe there's a chance that he becomes a better shooting shooter moving forward. But I think really, um, just kind of a, a hard-nosed mentality on, on both ends and, and just kind of the type of guy who can put his head down and get to the rim pretty easily.
0: Can you kind of compare him to another Wizards point guard of the past maybe? Is, is there another name out there? Uh, maybe maybe not a Wizard, but someone else in the league that you could compare him to that you know guys can be like, oh, okay, because uh, I've seen this guy play.
2: Uh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, I, it's hard to compare him to a recent Wizards point guard because those guys were so good. You know, obviously Russell Westbrook um, and John Wall; those they're all stars. Is,
0: is he gonna? be like Deshaun Stevenson was defensively? Maybe. Uh
2: that's that's. I think that would be a pretty good comparison. They're about the same size, six five. You know, Deshaun Stevenson was a, was a good defensive player uh, for the Wizards for a long time. Uh, I'm trying to think, maybe like a, a Goran Dragic, but not necessarily as, as good of a three-point shooter. Dragic later in his career especially became a really good three-point shooter. Yeah. But Goran Dragic, to me, I, I just think of, uh, when I think of Goran Drogic, I, I see him in the lane because he's already gotten there. He's, he's already gotten past <laughs> his defender. And he's also a pretty tall point guard. He's not as tall as Spencer Dinwiddie. But maybe that's the guy who I would compare him to, who's kind of a middle of the league if you were to rank the point guards. Uh, but every time you watch him play, you appreciate his game more because there's just so many good point guards uh, in this day and age that uh, you, you can't fit them all on all-star teams. So I think someone like that, maybe Goran Dragic, would be a good comparison.
0: Chase, we're running out of time here, but I have to ask you this. This is Chase Hughes, who covers the Wizards for NBC Sports Washington. Six days ago, ESPN put out a report. Rui Hachimura to miss opening of Washington Wizards training camp Team says for personal reasons. Can you give us an update on that, or or anything? What what do you expect from Rui? When do you when do you want to see him? When do you think we'll see him?
2: Yeah, so it's a personal matter. The team is giving him space, giving him time uh, to sort it out. Uh, you know, Corey Kispert, his college teammate, indicated it maybe has something to do with all the attention he gets from uh, you know Japanese media. I think it's it's been uh, the, the limelight's been pretty tough, especially coming out of the Olympics. There's, I think there's, it's a confluence of things. But I have gotten the indication that he won't be out very long, and maybe he can join the team uh, relatively soon. Maybe in the next you know week or two, uh, we'll see. He's a very important part of this team, so certainly yeah. they want to get him back as soon as possible.
0: With, with your conversations with him, I mean, how tough is he mentally? Is he the kind of guy that you know will openly talk about his mistakes? Does he always trying to encourage himself? Is he you know like a bright uh, glass half full, glass half empty kind of guy? How would you describe him?
2: Yeah, he's a positive guy. I I would say he's definitely a a mentally tough uh, player. Uh, But what's interesting is, you know, one thing I I heard from him very early on when he got drafted is just how Japanese athletes are expected to sort of comport themselves on the field or on the court. Uh, Basically, you're not supposed to show any emotion. You're supposed to be stoic. You're supposed to kind of hold it all in. Uh, So, you know, maybe that's a little bit tougher now than it usually is for him.
0: Yeah, I I hate when you have expectations like that that you have to follow. All right, Chase, I appreciate you so much, man. Thanks for the time. That's Chase Hughes. Absolutely, man, anytime. Yep. Adam Epstein here on 106.7 The Fan. Uh, Let's get back into the NFL. I see a couple callers on the line want to talk about the Washington football team. They take on the Atlanta Falcons, and Ron Rivera won't say it's a must win. Adam Epstein saying it's a must win. We cannot be one and three. Next here on 106.7 The Fan. Welcome back, AWOD Weekend Radio on 106.7 The Fan. I'm Adam Epstein. Washington football team. Washington's defense is ranked 29th in points. Yuck. Even worse. 31st in yards and worst in the league, 32nd in scoring efficiency. Also giving up a whopping 58% on third downs. That's 31st in the league. Basically, you can sum it up like this. The defense... Can't get off the field. No matter what the situation is, they can't get off the field until the other team puts up points. Uh, It's been a shame. It's been abysmal. Although Washington came into this season with much higher hopes than Atlanta, who traded their superstar wide receiver and drafted a young tight end, they have a statue in veteran Matt Ryan. And hopefully Washington can take advantage of that. Because Washington and Atlanta are actually very evenly matched. Both teams... Have potential stars and big-time playmakers and Calvin Ridley and Terry McLaurin. Atlanta probably has the edge at QB, but I'd give Washington uh, you know, the advantage on offense because they're running back in because I think Taylor Heineke can make some things happen uh, with his feet. It's going to be interesting how many carries Antonio Gibson gets because I know Washington will want to involve J.D. McKissick in the offense again. He's been really great uh, to start this season, had that unbelievable 60-yard catch against the New York football Giants. But I think this game will be decided by red zone efficiency. That's my opinion, all right? Whichever team gets the most points when in striking range will will win this game. No missed field goals, no field goal. Uh, it's all about get into the end zone. Once you reach the red zone, get into the end zone. I'm going to say my prediction. Washington defense gets right and leads us to a close victory 20-17. to 17. 1-800-636-1067 one eight hundred six three six one zero six seven 636 1067 is the number. Let's go to the phone lines. We got Jake in Virginia. What's going on, Jake? Adam, how we doing, boss? I'm good, man. Thanks for calling.
3: Listen, so uh, the reason I'm calling you uh, today, my brother Connor called about an hour ago, right? Okay. And he, he just completely, completely pooped on the boys in Burgundy. <laughs> saying, saying we're going to lose 29-17. to Yeah. We ain't got the defense, ain't what it used to be. That could not be further from the truth. Okay, preach, baby. Tell you me fo- the tr- you follow You follow the Washington uh, football team, Washington Redskins, social media, don't you? Yeah. You see what they posted uh, yesterday?
0: Uh, what was it? The Ron Rivera thing? No.
3: What did the I miss? The Lads decided to put a video together about Ron Rivera and how much of a hero he is and a warrior for beating the expletive out of his cancer. Yeah. The man teared up. There is no way that we lose this Sunday. Oh, baby. Okay, it's an emotional win. We're playing Matt Ryan, who has two high ankle sprains without having two high ankle sprains. (laughs) Washington by 65. (laughs) Hey! Hey! Also, I, Heineke's the man.
0: I love it. Hey! So, what is this? So, we've got two brothers, fans of the A- AWOD Army here, both calling in, both on the opposite sides of the spectrum, huh?
3: That's sibling rivalry. That's usually how it goes, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get you. All right, so so I can I can understand that they're gonna play for Ron, and I I can see the defense. Playing inspired after, you know, such a, a week where the media just cr- criticized everyone, including Chase Young. I can see him having a big game. But what do you think about this? It's the first time we get to see Curtis Samuel. Can we see him into the end zone? Can we see him on a fly route? Please. We haven't gone deep once yet this season.
3: We're going to get Curtis is going to be, you know, we're going to do wide receiver, you know, reverses and all that nonsense. It's also going to. Free up the lad, Terry McLaurin. He's not going to get doubled every play. Yeah, I sense I sense 375 yards from Heineke. Woo! Something crazy like that. Also, one note on the defense before I get out of here. Yeah. Last week and this whole week, we've been sending four just every play because mm-hmm. we think our first-round picks are so good that we can just send four and get pressure. Jack Del Rio's no slouch. We're going to start sending pressure against Matt Ryan. And then uh, pick six from William Jackson III. Ooh,
0: I love it, man. Really appreciate the phone call. I I think William Jackson III has been really good this season. He's been a big bright spot on the defense. He had that interception uh, in game one that I think should have won the game if we didn't end up fumbling right after that with Antonio Gibson. It was a huge clutch interception in the red zone. How about that? Can I get more callers like my guy Jake? Let's get fired up, Washington football team fans. The season's not over. Who the hell is telling you the season's over? What are they smoking? We're one and two, but we're gonna turn things around against the Atlanta Falcons. Go to two and two, three and two, four two, five and two, six and two. We might never lose again. That's the kind of energy and passion that my guy Jake just called in with. And I need more of that. 1 800 636 1067. 1 800 636 1067. Zaywad Weekend Radio on the Team 980 and 1067, The Fan. can't get enough of me. Next on The Fan.